Amen. Lord God, we, we offer a prayer of praise to you this morning. You have done it, Lord. You have done it. You have done it all. We are so grateful, God, for you taking the initiative and coming to us, Lord, taking on flesh and becoming like us in every respect. And then, Lord, for submitting to the Father all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then, Lord, for taking up your life again because the grave could not contain you. Lord, thank you for coming and owning death and making death to be not only your servant, but the servant of all who believe in you so that all death can do now is reunite us with our Savior, to bring us to our Savior face to face. Lord, what an incredible, incredible thing you have done that none of us could have ever foreseen. You are amazing. You are wise. You are gracious and kind and holy and just. And we we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. And if you'll open your Bibles to the the book of Hebrews, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 today, uh, reading approximately verses 17 through verses 18. The title of this message is, is that the empty tomb is the end of fear. And this title has a double meaning. On the one hand, uh, the empty tomb is the end point of the fear of the Lord. The empty tomb is the end point of the fear of the Lord. This is where the fear of the Lord will lead. First to dying to self, and then to resurrection and exaltation. This is the end point. The resurrection is the end point of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. And so when we say that the resurrection is the end of fear, one of the things we mean is, is that if you, like Jesus, fear the Lord, you will die to yourself in humility before the Lord, and in trusting Him in that way, He will exalt you in due time. And we're going to see that in our text in Hebrews chapter 2. But there's another meaning of this title, and that is, is that the, the resurrection marks the end of the wrong kind of fear, or at least the potential end of the wrong kind of fear. The death and resurrection of Jesus brings deliverance, our text will say in a moment, brings deliverance to all who were bound to uh, the fear of death and to fear in general like slaves. So you can see this in the, in the Easter resurrection story itself. Uh, obviously, one of the interesting things that strikes you when you read these is, is that these people who had walked with Jesus for three years suddenly couldn't recognize him. He somehow appeared different, right? And, and that's interesting. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was reading those stories this week is that, you know, the disciples looked a lot different too after the resurrection. I don't think they would have recognized themselves. If they weren't so busy looking at Jesus, I don't think they would have recognized themselves. They stood taller as human beings after they realized that Jesus had died and was raised for them. Specifically, one, one, one burden was lifted in a very obvious fashion, and that is they were generally fearful people. All the way up to the crucifixion and through the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, that's probably the last thing we see them doing uh, in the death of Jesus is running and scattering out of fear. But then we see... After the resurrection, 
these same men look different. They are not caught up in slavery to fear like they once were. And so the idea of this message this morning is just that the resurrection is the end point, the conclusion, the place that you will arrive to if you fear God and trust him. And the resurrection is good news to all of us who are bound in the slavery to fear because it is the end of that kind of fear as well. So let me uh, read to you as you read along in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 2, let's start again verse 8, let's say. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Kind of try to remember that phrase. We're going to come back to it at the end of the message. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, and I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And behold, I and the children God have given me. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he, because he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So this is a passage about the wrong kind of fear and the right kind of fear. And it doesn't necessarily leap out at you as that. But if you looked at all of the, the cross-references in this passage, if you looked at all the references to Old Testament passages, there, there are four of them at least, and I might be missing some, at least four references, quotations from the Old Testament in this passage. And when you read those passages in the Old Testament, every single one of them has to do with one simple question. When I am scared, will I trust God? That's what all of those references have to do with each other. And that's what this passage is about. This passage is presenting Jesus following the Father in the fear of the Lord all the way to the cross. And then because he trusted the Lord, he is, he is crowned with riches and honor and glory. But it also shows us that as he did that work, he made a way for us to be delivered from what verse 15 describes as a lifelong slavery to fear. A lifelong slavery to fear. So I think I have to ask us all a question this morning and help us think through this well, and that is, would you say that you 
are a slave to fear. Would you say that you are a slave to fear? Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of something else? Uh, This verse, verse 15, describes uh, the slavery to death, the slavery to fear as the fear of death. But when we expand our examination of uh, the Scriptures about fear, we see that that really the fear of death is just a way of talking about all fear. Uh, If you think about it, it would be obvious to you. Some of us are afraid of a social death, right? Uh, Some of us are afraid of a financial death. Some of us uh, are afraid of losing control, for that would feel like death. Uh, There are researchers who are spending a lot of time trying to investigate all of the kind of phenomenological things going on when people have uh, problems with fear, and they've created something called the mortality salience induction method, where they essentially ask someone who's afraid of, say, spiders, why are you afraid of spiders? And they ask question after question after question. It doesn't take many questions. It doesn't take many whys to, to, to find that that fear of spiders is rooted in a fear of death. It's, it's led researchers on the subject of fear to conclude that all fears are the same fear. And that's what the Bible would say too. So this, this verse references the fear of death because that has a particular meaning, obviously, when thinking about the, the resurrection of Jesus, for instance. But, but really, when this promise in verse 15 is, is that we can be delivered from the fear, from fear or from the slavery to fear, it's not just saying we can be delivered from uh, the slavery of fear to death. It, it's actually saying we can be delivered from the slavery of fear in general. So the question would be, is this helpful to you? Is this useful to you? Does this register uh, as, as a meaningful and valuable thing to you right now, presently? Is it good news to you in this moment that Jesus has made a way for you to no longer be a slave to fear? I guess that would depend on whether you think that was a problem. A problem that you may even struggle with today. So I, I think we need to ask, are you a slave to fear? And, and how do you think through that? How would you know if you were a slave to fear? So one of the questions I had was, uh, how would a slave know he was a slave? How, well, he'd have to have a time in which he was not a slave. Like, that's one possibility. But what if you were born into slavery? Because that's exactly what this verse, verse 15 says. It says that we were subject to lifelong slavery. So would a slave know they were a slave? I've thought about this, and I read quite a bit of, of, of history thinking about this question the last few weeks. If you were born into slavery, and so was your family, and so was literally everybody you knew, how would you know you were a slave? And the idea is, is that what if we were all born into the slavery of fear, as this verse says, and the slavery to fear has been entirely normalized in our culture, where none of us actually know the degree to which we're enslaved? Well, how would you figure that out? How would you discover that you had this problem? Well, you would have to know someone who was not a slave. You'd have to know someone who was not born into slavery. And this is one of the many jobs Jesus undertook in coming to us. He came to live before us as the one true free man. So in asking the question, am I a slave to sin? One of the questions you can ask, or a slave to fear, one of the questions you could ask is, is like, am I like... The free man. Am I like the free man, Jesus? 
When we look at Jesus, we see, like, we just don't see a slavery to fear. For instance, you don't ever see Jesus lashing out. And, and uh, lashing out is, is very often rooted in fear. It's, a, it's an animalistic sort of, I'm feeling threatened, and so I'm, I'm lashing out. You don't see that kind of fear in Jesus. You don't see a cowering fear either, right? You don't see Jesus hiding. You don't see him cowering. You don't, Jesus is not passive. There's a kind of passivity-induced fear. You don't see that with Jesus. There's no fear of man here. Jesus, Jesus' sufferings are varied. Obviously, a lot of physical sufferings, a lot of emotional and spiritual sufferings. But one of the sufferings that is the most dominant in all the stories of Jesus' crucifixion is his social sufferings. He is deeply and profoundly disrespected and misunderstood and ostracized and castigated. And you don't see Jesus flinching. You don't see Jesus being run by the fear of man. You know, there's no fear of Jesus uh, of not having enough. Here's a man who is basically quite poor. He says early on to his disciples, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's some, some, some research that suggests that most of the time Jesus slept in fields outside of cities. Most of the time he literally slept in a field like a homeless man. But you don't see Jesus ever afraid of being poor. Which is interesting. Because, because like that would be a reasonable fear. So, we're looking at, 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 at the free man who isn't, isn't lashing out. He's not cowering. He's not passive. He's not dominated or controlled by the fear of man. He's not afraid of not having enough. Does that describe you? Are you like the free man? Because we're trying to ask, are, are we slaves to fear? And I'm saying, well, here's the free man. This is the only one that we can rely on to show us what freedom looks like. Do we look like this? A second way of sorting through this would be, are you free to live in the fullness of God's plan for you? Are you free to live in God's fullness? Um, there is a difference between experiencing fear and being a slave to fear. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as we move forward. And how would you know? I mean, because I mean, if I'm asking, are you afraid? I think the answer is yes. The question is, how would you know if it was a slavery situation? Well, here's, here's a true thing that I think many of us fall into when we are sorting out whether or not we have a problem. So I'm asking you, are you a slave to fear? And you might say, if you're looking through a therapeutic lens, is fear keeping me from doing the things I want to do? And that would be the absolutely man-centered, therapeutic gospel question to ask. The wrong question entirely. The question is not, is fear keeping you from doing what you want to do? The question is, is fear keeping you from doing what God wants you to do? So ask that question. Not, is fear keeping me from doing what I want to do? Because you might have shrunk your expectations down to fit your fears. But ask this question. Is fear keeping me from doing all that God wants me to do? God's vision for our life is the one that matters. It's bigger, it's better, and it's far less boring than the vision we have for our lives. And if we scanned all the biblical literature about this subject, we would see some basic ideas. Firstly, God has big plans for people. Secondly, there are many potential obstacles that keep those plans from taking place. And third, fear is the most common of all those obstacles. 
Listen, the book of Hebrews is written in the vocabulary of the Exodus experience. And that means that the slavery referenced in chapter 2, verse 15, is a slavery like the Jews experienced under Pharaoh. And when they were released from that slavery, what did they almost immediately do? They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back. It would not be, I don't think, a humble, appropriate, or intelligent thing to say this morning, I'm pretty sure I'm not a slave to fear. I don't think that's probably the wise footing to take. Uh, Because even if the deliverance has been struck for you, you may be, there may be, just as, this is why Hebrews is written, a tendency to neglect such great a salvation and a tendency, because of unbelief, to fail to enter the rest that you could have and return instead out of the rest that you could have into slavery to fear again. So the first question is, am I like the free man? I can look at his life. Is that what my life looks like? The second question is, 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 is fear keeping me from doing what God wants me to do? Is there anything in my life, is there a particular kind of obvious command of obedience that God's called me to that's keeping me, that fear's keeping me from obeying? And the third one is, is are you free to live in fellowship with God and his people, or is fear keeping you from living in fellowship with God and his people? Why is fear a big impediment to God fulfilling his purposes? I mean, it's not really, but it appears that way. Why is that? Well, because God advances his kingdom in his people when they trust him. And fear causes us not to trust him. Fear causes us to stray from him. Fear causes us to run from him. There's a verse that Jesus says before the cross, and he says, when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And so we see the scattering effect that fear has with the disciples. The disciples couldn't remain either together or with Jesus because they were dominated by this slavery of fear. So another way to ask the question is, am I uh, a slave to fear is, is it causing me to scatter from the shepherd? Well, there are some wrong solutions to this problem. And I think before we talk about the right solutions to this problem, we should probably discuss some of the wrong ones. It would be wrong to approach this problem just with a sense of denial. <laughs> it would be a kind, of a, a kind of a waste of light and truth to hear this uh, message up to this point and say, nah, that's not me. I was thinking about Jesus walking up to a cripple in the Gospels and saying, do you believe I can heal you? And the cripple saying, I don't need to be healed. What are you talking about? You know, what a, what a, what a waste of a moment, right? You know, he's like, no, this isn't. I'm not crippled. This is a strength. This is, I'm, I'm great. I'm fine. Uh, so, so, so in this offer that is made, this promise that is made in Hebrews 2.15 to deliver us from slavery to fear, let's be careful that we're not, we're not being too quick to deny that we have this problem because then we're missing out on the deliverance that, that Jesus is offering. You know, another possible wrong way to deal with this would be self-deception. Uh, let's be careful not to, uh, to, to, to be too quick to turn a potential virtue into a certain, or a potential vice into a certain virtue. I set about this week to 
write an article to post on our, our church's base camp on the difference between fear and wisdom. So the difference between fear and caution and wisdom. And, and here's what I found as I spent considerable time looking at the Bible on this issue. That is not an easy thing to discern. It really isn't an easy thing to discern. And I will, I will put that out eventually once I get it figured out. Uh, I've, got, I've got some clues right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm no way ready for, for the presses yet. But, but, but here's what I would want to, want to encourage. It, it, is, it is often a temptation to take what is the vice of fear and assume it is the virtue of wisdom. Now, it's possible that that's true. It's possible that you're not afraid, you're just being careful. And here's what I would say to that. It would be a very tragic and unwise choice to develop a reflex in which you take a vice and turn it into a virtue without thinking seriously about it and seeking counsel and so forth. Uh, that sounds like a ruinous path because our hearts are deceitful and wicked. So, so is it possible that you're not afraid, you're just being wise and cautious? It is possible. You should probably not be quick to make that assertion. That the, the, there's a lot of moral ground between a vice and a virtue. Maybe it'd be better just to stay, I don't know, right now. I'm not sure. Lord, help me. Uh, another, another wrong solution to the slavery of fear is just distractions. You know, it, it would be entirely wrong to answer this question with, well, I, I just try not to think about things that scare me. You know, um, that would sort of be like, now don't ask me how I know about this, but that would sort of be like not having enough money to pay a bill and so you don't open it. And what's funny about the bills is they, change, they keep coming and they change colors over time. So you can have like a whole rainbow of colors eventually if you don't pay that bill. They keep coming, they keep coming, and then the bills turn into phone calls and so on and so forth. And, and uh, distracting yourself from the problem isn't, isn't a good idea, especially when this verse, verse 15, tells us clearly no, we can actually have deliverance from the slavery of fear. And another wrong approach would be to try to control things. You will exhaust yourself. You won't be able to control the world to a sufficient extent that it actually cause, allows you to eliminate fear. And here's the key about that is, is you'll start trying to control things you have no business controlling, namely other people and God. So these would be the wrong approaches to this question. Uh, let's talk about the right approach. The right solution to fear. See the cause of fear. What is the cause of fear? Well, one cause of fear, and I'm tempted to say the cause of fear, Hebrews 2.8. Hebrews 2.8, the end of Hebrews 2.8. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. I think that's why we're afraid. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What does that mean? That means that at present, there's a whole bunch of life that doesn't appear to be predictable, um, that doesn't appear to be controllable or controlled. Uh, there's these massive question marks that are, that are waiting for us in our life. These, it's not clear in a visible way, that someone's in control of it all. And, and when we get to certain positions, certain fears are, are sort of, I think, certain fears are just certain declarations of, I'm not, seeing, I'm not seeing the purpose of this. I'm not seeing someone in charge of this. 
I'm not seeing the answer to this. I'm not seeing the resolution to this. I think the source of fear, the cause of fear, is that at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. This is why we are afraid of the future, and this is why we are afraid of sickness, and this is why we are afraid of death, and this is why we're afraid of other people. We don't see. We don't see those things in subjection to him. Now, I want to be clear about something. There is a way in which we should try to see those things in subjection to him. But the writer of Hebrews is not suggesting, let's fix this problem. The writer of Hebrews is just saying this is a problem. At the present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. And I think that's a big problem. And it's just, it just is what it is. And you might try to slap yourself a bunch of times and say, no, God's really in charge of all that. And as you should. But the truth is, is that as human beings, we are looking out in a world that seems really chaotic. We're looking out into a future that seems really dark. You know, every once in a while when I'm, I'm at the church, like at night by myself, I, 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 I always talk myself into being more confident than I should be. And I'm like, I'm not going to turn on any lights. I don't need to. I know this place well enough. And like, I'm just going to walk through the building in the dark. And, uh, I, you know, most of the time I don't stub my toe, but, but sometimes I do. But the main thing is, what I've noticed is, no matter where I am, when I'm walking in the dark, my mind is running about three times faster. Because it's trying to calculate what is ahead of me that I can't see with my eyes. There's, even if there's no cause to be afraid, per se, there's a heightened awareness, anxiety, alertness, stress, something, when walking in the dark. Well, friends, this is, like, this is what it means to be a human being. Think about all the things we cannot foresee that will have a very real consequence on our lives. Sort of like walking in the dark, and we just don't see, we just can't see. So, so I think the cause of fear is this inability to see. But I think the cure of fear is found in the next verse. At the present, verse, verse 8, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, but we see Him. That's the cure of fear. What's the cause of fear? I don't see everything. What's the cure of fear? I see Him. That's it. We're done. Go have some ham. No, uh, we're really close to being done. No, this is, this, is, this is really the idea. This is really the cause and the cure of fear. My cause of fear is I don't see... A lot of stuff. My cure of fear is that through faith, I see him. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. And this is the resurrection. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What we don't see is the cause of fear and what we do see, namely Jesus, is the cure of fear. We don't see when or how we will die, but we see Jesus. We don't see where our health will go and when it will take its inevitable turn. But we see Jesus. 
We don't see whether people will approve or reject us, but we see Jesus. We don't know whether we will have much or we will have little, but we see Jesus. It is simply inevitable that what we don't see will cause fear. But it is equally as inevitable that if we see Jesus, that fear will be resolved. That will be resolved. So the question is, do you, with the eyes of faith, see Jesus? And I want to be clear about something that the Bible is very clear about. And the answer to that question is potentially no, you do not. Uh, there's a man named Nicodemus in John 3. John 3.16, most famous verse ever, right? Jesus said this to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus thought he saw Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, you're a good man, you're a good teacher, I can see these things. And, and you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you don't see me. You can't see me. Nicodemus is like, well, I mean... Uh, Jesus said, no, you can't see the kingdom of God of which I am king unless you have been born again. So I've given you what is truly, honestly, the cause of fear and the cure of fear. The cure of fear is to see Jesus, but I need to be clear, as the Bible is clear, that unless you have been born again, you are just seeing a moral painting of a guy with a beard. You are not seeing Jesus in the way that Hebrews 2.9 means for you to see Jesus. And therefore, until you see Jesus, because he's the cure of fear, that's, that's what we're waiting on. And so this is the priority. If God hasn't transformed your heart, you've got a million questions and a million uncertainties, and here's the priority. This is the place you cannot go wrong. This is the prayer you cannot go wrong praying, any of you. Lord, if I don't see Jesus right now, if I'm not seeing Jesus right now, would you help me to see Jesus right now? Would you help me to see Jesus as this verse says, I need to see Jesus? Because that's the cure to all of the slavery that we are bound to encounter in our lives, that we were born into, to see Jesus. So, do you see Jesus with the eyes of faith? If not, that's where you must start. You must ask God to help you see Jesus. And I have every uh, belief that God honors that prayer and that if you call out to the Lord and say, Lord, if there's something I'm missing, if I'm not seeing Jesus as I need to see him, will you help me to do that? He will indeed help you to do that. The truth is, is that some of us who have been born again, um, we've got some stuff in our eyes that's keeping us from seeing him as we need to see him. And so for everybody in this room, that's the urgent plea of our hearts. That's the order of the day. Lord, help me to see Jesus. Do you see that Jesus was tempted with fear? This is an important point. Do you see that Jesus was, in, was tempted with fear? Hebrews 2.18 says, For he, because he himself uh, has, temp was, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is, being, he is able to help those who are being tempted. There's only one place that I clearly see Jesus being suffer, suffering when tempted, and it is as he considers the cross that awaits him in Gethsemane and even before Gethsemane. Jesus says in John 12, 27, we, saw, we looked at this chapter last week, now is my soul troubled, 
What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus, Jesus was tempted to give in to his troubled soul. Friends, that'll preach. Will you trust God or will you trust your troubled soul? Do you see that Jesus trusted the Father more than he trusted his troubled soul? Do you see that Jesus resisted this temptation to allow what he felt to dominate what he would do? And that he was faithful even unto death on the cross. And do you see that this Jesus, in his faithfulness to God, rose from the dead and is crowned with glory and honor? Do you see that? Do you see that Jesus, in trusting the Father, was raised on the third day? And do you see, do you see that in doing all of this, he has brought many sons and daughters to glory? Do you see that he has taken you with him through this journey? See, that's the incredible truth of a passage like Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. The incredible truth of these, these verses like that is, is that you've already done this in Christ. If you are in him, you've already trusted him to death with Jesus on the cross, and you've already been raised to walk in newness of life. It's incredible. This path set before you to fear the Lord and fear, trust God more than your troubled soul, this path will involve you dying to self, but it will also involve great glory, honor, and vindication. Do you fear sickness and death? Let's not, let's not play the denial game. Let's not play the self-deception game. Let's, let's, let's just, do you fear sickness and death? It would make sense. There is much about it you cannot see. But you can see that Jesus faced death and made it serve him, verses 14 and 15. Do you fear social death? Do you fear being alone, being ostracized, being ridiculed? That would make sense. People are anything but predictable. People are anything but reliable. Or they're not. Makes sense to fear that. So, so yeah, that's what you don't see. You don't see how people are going to respond to you. You don't see whether people are going to walk with you. you. You don't know. Can you see Jesus? Who has adopted all who believe in him as his brothers and sisters and he is not ashamed verses 12 and 13 he's not ashamed to call us his brothers do you fear the judgment of god well that one would make a lot of sense do you fear facing god a lot about that that's unknown but do you see jesus has made it possible for you to draw near do you see that Jesus has become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for your sins? Verse 17. Do you fear, this is an interesting one, does fear ever keep you from praying? 
probably, some of you, it probably does. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think he wants to talk to me, and I don't know if I necessarily want to talk to him. A lot about that that's unknown. Do you see Jesus has made it possible for you to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace? Hebrews 4, 6. Do you fear where this world is going? <laughs> that would make sense. But understandable. It all seems so unstable. But do you see that Jesus has brought you into a kingdom which cannot be shaken? Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Do you fear poverty and not having enough? Again, would it be understandable? But do you see that Jesus has told us to keep our life free from the love of money because he will never leave us or forsake us? You see, whatever your fear is, it's related to something you're not seeing. And whatever... Whatever that is, the cure is always this. I don't see, I don't understand, I can't predict, I can't rely upon, but I see Jesus. I see Jesus, and that is the cure or the end to my slavery to fear. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you, through death, destroyed the power of the devil and delivered your people from a fear of death that was a kind of lifelong slavery. Thank you, Lord, that in your resurrection we see the end to which those who fear the Lord will come. They will be crowned with glory and honor. And thank you, Lord, that we have seen in the resurrection, your triumph over death, your triumph over fear, so that we see the end of our slavery to fear as well. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's table this morning, I pray that some would, uh, would do so, Lord, as new citizens of the kingdom, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they could behold the face of Jesus that they could be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. God, I pray that as we partake of the table this morning, we would all have, uh, be able to walk up here saying, you know, through, through the Father's gift of grace, I, I see Jesus. That's the one thing maybe I'm sure about, is Jesus. Lord, as we partake of the table, give us humble and grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the Lord's table is a means of grace provided by Jesus.